Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. As Sue said, we have known each other for decades. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm just humbled to be here on um, Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, and uh, please continue to pray for Pastor Gary and Pastor Austin. Uh, we were talking a little bit in the lobby earlier. I think a lot of people don't understand how um, impressively um, lonely it can be at times, being the leader of the flock of, that, that God has allowed us to be in front of. And, and not only lonely, but uh, uh, daunting. Uh, it, it's a big task to represent Jesus in taking care of his church. And so uh, continue to pray for them, and, and I will too. And it's been great getting to meet them as well as a few other people over the past uh, couple of days. I was a pastor in Hawaii for 23 years uh, prior to this. Now I speak for a ministry called Reasons for Hope. Um, Reasons for Hope uh, is an apologetics ministry, and our desire is to give people a reason for the hope that is in us, that is in the person of Jesus, and actually be able to um, spread the word that his word can be trusted from the very beginning to the very end, because what he has said is authoritative and powerful and true. Amen? Um, so I want to greet you how we do in our islands, with an aloha. That was pretty weak. Let's try that again. Aloha. A little better. Today what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about how the, some people will say, well, the earth is the result of a cosmic accident. We're nothing but accidents that just so happen. And I want to say from the get-go, nothing can be further from the truth. And so today we're going to debunk that idea, looking at the Word of God and looking at some science and some evidences uh, to see what it is that God would have us to know. Uh, we're going to start with one of our videos that we produce with Reasons for Hope. This one is called Evolution is a Fact, Debunked. Check this out. Protein to purpose, accident to president, and poo-poo to pawpaw. Welcome to the evolution revolution, my stardust siblings. It's all the rage, you know. Profs at prestigious universities, top-notch high school teachers, and all kinds of scientists the world over insist that evolution is a bona fide fact. But is it? Well, we're going to gander at the biggie and take it on mano a mano. How, you ask? With math. But before I jump into my speedy soliloquy, when I say evolution, I'm talking about mindless and undirected forces arranging already existing atoms over lots of time, eventually and ultimately producing all the life we see around us. Now, back to math and a little bit of chemistry. But don't worry, you don't need to know much to knock down this fallaciously feeble, finicky, and faulty Frankensteinian fable foisted fervently from fanciful figures framing fakery for Faustian fame. No, 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 no. And uh, here we go. This is a protein, the basic building block of life. A protein is made up of a chain of amino acids that bond together in a specific sequence. When it comes to living things though, not just any amino acid will do and not just any sequence will work. First, of the roughly 300 amino acids we know of, only about 20 are useful for life. Second, these amino acids must be arranged in a very rare sequence to form the right kind of protein useful to build a living cell. So, you got the basics, let's do the math. What are the odds that an undirected, mindless process like evolution could produce just one single protein molecule fit for life? Let's keep it simple. The size of a protein with a stable structure called a fold ranges between about 75 and 30,000 amino acids. Let's just take a small number like 150. Fair enough? Great. So, if each amino acid in the chain of 150 has roughly 20 possible variations, that would mean a life-permitting protein forming by chance would be 20 to the 150th. Now you reduce that down, pass it around, you get 10 to the 195th on the wall. That's a 1 with 195 zeros after it, just in case you didn't know. But there are other rare sequences that can work, and we would have to factor that into the equation, but I'll be honest, I just don't want to do that. Thankfully, Doug Axe, a molecular biologist, has, and he found that the odds of a relatively short protein to properly function are less than 1 in 10 to the 77th, which is true for a large number of proteins. So that's a 1 with 77 zeros. Now you throw the peptide and the left-handed amino acid problems in there, you get something close to 10 to the 164th. Now, keep in mind that scientists define the occurrence of anything with less than 1 in 10 to the 50th as absurd. But we're way beyond absurd here. Allow me to paint a visual. It would be like traveling the universe in an accidentally manufactured spacecraft, stopping on a whim, then reaching out blindfolded into a sea of 10 to the 80th different colored atoms and retrieving the only red one. 
All this, mind you, just to get one protein. And you need roughly 300 to form the simplest living cell we know of. But the point is this. Can't get a protein, you can't get a cell, and you can't get a life. That's just, well, life. So deal with it. But at least be honest with me. You wouldn't bet on the next hand after your opponent dealt himself a royal flush, would you? And that's far more likely to happen than our protein problem. So please, don't bet something more precious on an absurdity. And that's all I got for now. But rest assured, this chucklesome notion that blind, undirected processes can produce even a single protein, let alone life, has been, dare I say, mathematically anyway, debunked. Adios. Amen. Um, how many of you like that video? We actually have about 22 of them on different subjects uh, within um, apologetics things. If you are interested in getting information on our website, our app, and any of our um, uh, products, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take out your phone. And I know that's frowned upon in church. But uh, I, I, that's the easiest way to get in touch. What you're going to do is you're going to take out your phone and you're going to open up. And this is, once again, if you folks would like to uh, connect with us at Reasons for Hope, you're going to open up your messaging app, whatever you send text messages with. Uh, you're going to then type in, uh, in your messaging app, uh, the number 51555. That is the number that you'll send it to, 51555. That's our number at Reasons for Hope. And then you're going to type in on the bottom in the message, adios space Frank. We end all of our videos with adios, which is why we use the adios. And the space, not the word space, just a space and the word Frank. And what you're going to do is you're going to hit send. After you send that message, uh, what will come out is you will get a link back pretty quickly. That link will then give you a page that you can go to to fill out some basic information. We'd like to know who we're partnering with. And when we say partnering, you have to give nothing. Um, this is just people who are praying for us, who know that our ministry is out there. And so whenever a new video or something like that becomes available, you will get a text or an email if you put your email information in there, letting you know, hey, we got a new video on so-and-so coming out. We got a new book coming out. We'll have a speaker in your area. Um, anything like that, and that's kind of how we communicate with people. If you're interested in doing that, you can feel free to do so. Uh, the app is available on the app stores all over the place. Um, uh, Apple, Google, Amazon, Roku, the whole deal. Um, but today what I wanted to focus on was this. I wanted to focus on the creator and the little blue dot. What are the chances that life as we know it happened on this planet by accident? I'll start with the answer. Zero. But we're going to explain that long form because there's a serious battle between scientific worldviews of evolution and creation. And in order to understand this, we need to know the difference between historical science and observational science. In 1996, this man wrote a book that blew the lid off the theory of evolution probably more than any other scientific work. Anybody know who this guy is? His name is Dr. Michael Bates. Uh, he wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. Uh, what he did was he came up with an idea and he published it in this book called Irreducible Complexity, meaning that the organisms that are in our lives, that are every, every living thing has a point of irreducible complexity, meaning that you cannot get from non-living to living without something interjecting themselves. He discovered this by means of studying the bacterial flagellum and noticed that it had 40 parts. Within those 40 parts, he noticed that when you went down to 39 parts, it ceased to be alive. So his question was, rightfully so, how did it get from 39, dead, to 40, alive, without something introducing that 40th piece? Let alone from 37 to 38, or one to two. How did that happen by evolutionary means? And his book explained, you can't. I'll, I'll, I'll break it down in a simpler form. It's kind of like a rat trap. Uh, you have the hammer, the catch, the spring, the hold bar, and the platform. Take away any one of those pieces, and the trap ceases to operate how it was designed to do. It, it fails to be what it was created to be, a rat trap. So in order for me to believe in Darwinian evolution, I have to believe that nothing produced everything, Non-life produced life, randomness produced fine-tuning, chaos produced information, unconsciousness produced consciousness, and non-reason produced reason. In other words, 
you can only get something from something. You cannot get something from nothing without someone interjecting that something. But Genesis 1.1 has told us this from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For those of you who are into Hebrew, the word for create here is the word bara. I want you to say it with me, bara. So God can bara, create. You ever heard somebody say, well, I created a painting or I created a song? That's not bara. That is the Hebrew word asa. We create something from something. God can create something from nothing. A good illustration would be, we can create a paper airplane, but in order to do that, we need paper. We can't create a paper airplane from nothing. But God can. And therein lies the difference. Only God can barah or make something from nothing. This is why science has invested so much in the Big Bang Theory. But the Big Bang Theory was not a chaotic, disorderly event. Instead, it produced things that are fine-tuned. Things that we look at in the universe and go, how on earth could that have existed without a mindful creator behind it? So if the Big Bang happened, it had to have a cause, and that cause needed to have intelligence. Just so we can be clear, these are 11 of the essential things necessary for life on our planet. Uh, there are more than 30 that are required for us to have life on this planet the way it is including a non-gaseous terrestrial planet. We have to be the right distance from the sun. We have to have plate tectonics, oxygen-rich atmosphere, many, many others. These are just 11 of those. But I want you to look at what Isaiah 45, 18 says. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, and look at what he says next, who has established it and did not create it in vain, but who formed it to be inhabited. In other words, this world was created on purpose. And it was formed so that life would exist on it. And so that that life would give glory to God. How do we know that? Look at the last part of that, that verse. I am the Lord, there is no other. When we look at the world around us, that should be the cry of our heart. That the Lord has done this, and there is no other. Amen? In fact, um, God allowed there to be much evidence that he is a creator of the life, but he put us in the perfect location to see that life observed. Uh, and we're going to talk about our solar system a little bit, but we're going to talk about some of the things that we can see on this planet as well. So what are some of the things that we can observe? Science usually talks about observable things in five terms. They talk about it in terms of time, power, space, matter, and motion. Uh, and, and for those who are wondering, why do I use so much science? That's what my degree is in. I studied theology, but my main degree is as a science educator. Um, so power, time, space, matter, motion. But the Bible does that from the very first two verses. Look at it closely. In the beginning, which is time, God created, which is power. The heavens, the space, the earth is matter. And then it talks about the Spirit of God hovering, or rapah in the Hebrew, over the face of the waters, which is motion. God used all of these scientific terms within the first two verses of the Bible, and many other places as well. So is God the God of science? Absolutely. Our solar system is extremely vast, and Apollo astronauts were traveling at the speed of a bullet, somewhere between 4,000 to 5,000 feet per second. And yet it took them three days to reach the moon, just to show you how far the moon is. Yet the Earth's distance from the sun is over 400 times farther than the distance it took us to travel to the moon. Uh, when we look at the planets, we see some amazing uh, things laid out for us. And, but I, I want to see who remembers from back in their school days, who can name all of the planets in order? I'm looking for a volunteer who's brave. Someone who can name all of the planets in order, who wants to take a stab at it. Anybody? Nobody? No. Oh, well, let's try together. What is the first one? Mercury is the first one. Correct. What is the second one? Venus is correct. Why, see, why didn't you raise your hand? What is the third one? Earth and then Mars, Jupiter, 
Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Pluto is no longer a planet. It's no longer a planet. But you, you, you know what? You should have raised your hand. But do me a favor. How about a nice round of applause? Yeah, a great job. Great job. Absolutely. And, and so how many of you like to memorize easy way to memorize things, right? It used to be my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. That was the acronym that you would remember to remember the planets in order. How many of you remember that from school? My very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. The problem is now that Pluto is no longer a planet, you got to change it to my very educated mother just served us noodles. And it'll still fit, but you can kind of memorize the planets in their name. But that is absolutely correct. Uh, so good job there getting it correct. How many of you remember this story? The story of the three little bears. How many of you remember that? In that story, the main character's name was Goldilocks. And the neat thing about Goldilocks was when she came in and she found the porridge, she found that the porridge was not too hot and not too cold, but just right. And you got to draw that just, right? Just right. And, and so the idea is that it was perfect. Well, they established that the Earth is in the Goldilocks zone of our solar system. We are in the place that is not too cold, not too hot, but just right to have life on it. What are the chances that the one planet that God said he wanted to establish life on is in the perfect place? Well, if you have a God who knows all things, it's easy. Uh, April and I have been to some really hot places. This is Sedona, Arizona. Uh, we went there, and, and this is 117 degrees worth of hot. That's pretty hot. We've been to some really cold places. And mind you, this is going to be nothing to the cold place that you are going to be in January. Uh, this is Hurricane Ridge up in um, Washington State. Uh, and, and so there's some really cold places. The average temperature on Venus is 864 degrees Fahrenheit. That's just one planet closer to the sun. The average temperature on Mars is negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So you thought you were cold. Negative 100 on the sunny side. On the shady side, it's negative 200 degrees. And that's just one planet farther from the sun. Average temperature on Earth, 60 degrees. Perfect to sustain life. And yes, this is a real picture that I took of where I live. Um, this, is, this is an amazing place for sure. The Earth is uh, in the perfect place, a habitable zone, that is not too hot, not too cold, but just right. But Psalms 102.25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So if they are the work of his hands, it's no wonder that he put it in a perfect place. Another thing that is very important is the mass of the earth. It's important for the earth to be the right size. Uh, in order for the earth, us to understand this, we, we, I'll deal with it in terms of gravity. If the earth were bigger, everything would weigh more. Is that good or bad? Well, it depends, right? And, and, and if, any, if the earth were smaller, everything on it would weigh less. And some people go, I wish I weighed less. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. If gravity were less, many objects that remain close to the earth would go farther away from the earth. One of those things being oxygen. That would become hugely problematic. And if the earth were larger and the gravity were more, there are some of the poisonous gases that exist out in the atmosphere that would be closer to the earth and it would kill everything on the planet. So we have to be not only in the perfect spot, we have to be the perfect size. Another amazing thing that the earth has is an invisible magnetic shield. Some of you will say, well, if it's invisible, how do you know it's there? Well, the same way with the wind. You can't really see the wind, but you can see the way the wind has effects. The Earth, unlike the moon, is surrounded by an invisible protective magnetic field. Some of you might be thinking, well, that sounds kind of like Star Trek type of stuff. Anybody in here into Star Trek? I'll pray for you because I'm into Star Wars, right? You know, so in Star Trek, they analyze stuff. Star Wars, they just shot it. You know, so I'm, I'm a Star Wars kind of guy. Even Chewbacca would agree with me. But... The way that we know the Earth is in, uh, that it has this invisible magnetic shield 
is the way that we see something interact with it. This is a CGI, computer generated, to show us an example of the invisible magnetic shield. But what we see in reality is this. Anybody ever see this before? This is one of my bucket list things. To see what is called, anybody know what it's called? The Aurora Borealis. The Aurora Borealis, how many of you know how this happens? The Aurora Borealis happens when the magnetosphere, that is that invisible magnetic shield, have solar charged particle winds that hit it. And what we are seeing is those particles interacting with the invisible shield. And it come across as this amazing light show. So in other words, so what are the chances that the one planet that is in the right place and the right size that has life on it has a shield to protect the life on it by accident? Zero. God made it on purpose and for a purpose. In fact, Psalms 19, 1 through 3 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and a firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge, and there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is a real picture of April and I on the island next to us, um, Molokai. Um, we go there because we love to bow hunt deer there, but we hang out there. It's, it's a place, it, it's like what Hawaii was 60, 70 years ago, and there's no street lights. This is in my friend's parking lot, if, uh, his driveway. You go out, and you can see the Milky Way galaxy beyond you. I would challenge you, just go out and look and see some of the amazing things that God has done and say, you know what? The hand of the Lord has done this. Another amazing thing that the earth has is liquid water, which has been confirmed on no other planet that is essential for life. And I will say this, because right now we're spending billions of dollars trying to see if there was water on Mars. Here's the thing that's mind-blowing to me. How can you spend millions of dollars looking for life on another planet that may not be there, and you fail to recognize scientifically the life that lives in the mother's womb. That's mind-blowing. And so therefore, if we're going to do science, let's do all the way science, and let's be real with that. Um, that's a side note, but the idea is that we should say, if we're going to invest, let's invest in all life. Amen? Now, um, the Earth, uh, if we were farther from the sun, all water would freeze like these icebergs. If we were farther away from the sun, all water would dry up and we'd be a desert, kind of like what Mars is. Yet, the earth has a lot of water, most of which is salt water, about 70 to 73% is salt water oceans, but there also needs to be fresh water within it. We see that a lot because animals, plants, people, they all need fr fresh water to be able to drink. And without that none of us would survive. And it's kind of interesting when you look at the hydraulic cycle within the earth, how water precipitates, evaporates, all the things that go on with it. What are the chances that that could happen by accident? Another amazing thing the earth has are some amazing plants. Uh, if you get the out, uh, around here, uh, at least in southern Minnesota, I've seen the plants that exist the most are corn and beans and cockleburs that stick to your pants when you walk through the woods, right? Those are the three main plants in Minnesota. But when you go to other places, you can see some pretty amazing things. Uh, the picture on the left is actually the Redwood Forest. Uh, April and I went there some years ago in Northern California. The picture on the right is in Sequoia National Park. That is the largest tree by girth, they believe, on the planet. Uh, it's called the General Sherman is the name of that tree. To give you an idea of how big it is, you can actually see April standing at the bottom of the tree. That's how massive that uh, tree is by size. Um, Psalm 96, 11 through 12 says that all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. But there's one plant that I believe rejoices more than any other and screams God's glory. It's this little thing. Anybody know what this is called? Venus flytrap. Venus flytraps are amazing. It, they're only from the Carolinas. That is the place that they exist. If you've seen one in real life, it was brought from the Carolinas. And, and they, they bring it out to, so that's the only place they go, grow in their natural habitat. But I want you to look closely at the petals of the Venus flytrap. Anybody see those three trigger hairs? On each petal, there's three hairs. Everybody see them? Those are very important because they act in a special way. What they do is they have if an insect lands and it touches one of the trigger hairs, it sets off a timer 
If the insect walks around on the pad and touches a second hair within 20 seconds, the trap closes and eats the insect. If it takes 21 seconds, the timer starts again. That's kind of interesting. Well, not only that, they um, uh, are pollinated by only three creatures, the green sweat bee, the checkered beetle, and a non-tipped longhorn beetle. All of them are the, these three things are what pollinate the Venus flytrap. You want to know something amazing? These are the only three insects that the Venus flytrap doesn't eat. How does it know that? That's kind of neat. Think about this. This plant has a 20-second timer. It has memory because it memorizes when one hair was touched or two. It has no sharp teeth, yet it's a carnivore. And it can tell the difference between animals that can pollinate it and animals that can't. This plant blows the lid off science in a way that most things can't. God created this little plant, and he created it so that it would give glory to himself. Amen? Be careful when you hear people say things like, well, you need millions of years to form topographical features like the rock layers that exist in the Grand Canyon. That's simply not true, and I can validate that. Uh, we know that dry land formed and eroded largely due to plate tectonics. I live on Hawaii, and we live on a hot spot, and you can see that happening in the state uh, as we live there. But we have evidence of rapid formulation of land strata actually in many places. Uh, anybody know what this is? Where this is, I should say. This is Mount St. Helens. Uh, this is in Washington State. Uh, May 18, 1980, 8.32 in the morning, a 20 million ton blast occurred, equivalent to 20 million tons of TNT. And it blew off 120 square miles of forest in less than 10 minutes. It, the, the, the results were devastating on what ha uh, the, the, the land around it. Two years later, there was another small explosion which created a massive mudslide that occurred in the canyon system, and it eroded away a path into what happened two years previously in the initial explosion. What they found was Engineer's Canyon. And, and, and this is, has been deemed the Little Grand Canyon. Notice all of the rock layers. And these were formed in a matter of a couple of days. I got to hike into the canyon with the guy who discovered it, Dr. Steve Austin, one of the four leading geologists on the planet. This is me and the Reasons for Hope team. And we get to hike into, into the mouth of Mount St. Helens, which was pretty uh, amazing. When you get in there, this is Engineer's Canyon. How many of you can see the rock layers? Uh, I, I'll bring it a little closer. Uh, the bottom is the initial mudslide. The middle is the stratification from the pyroclastic flow. And the top is airfall debris. All of this happened in minutes. Not in hours, not in weeks, not in years. Minutes. And especially not in millions of years. If you're a geek like me, you've got to take a selfie in front of it to prove that you were there. Um, it, was, it was just amazing to be able to go in and see. Uh, not only do we have that, though, we have this. This is called Surtsey Island, S-U-R-T-S-E-Y. Surtsey Island on November 13th, 1963, was below the water's surface. The picture you see here was taken three and a half years later. Full island, sea cliffs, erosion happening, the whole deal in three and a half years. We have this documented and in evidence. So when you hear people say, well, it takes billions of years or millions of years to form these things, that's simply not true. Hear me clear. I am not saying everything happened in a matter of minutes or days, but I am saying it can. And so when you hear people say scientifically, it's impossible for these things to happen quickly, that's just scientifically not true. And we need to be honest in that. Why? Because in his hands are the deep places of the earth, the heights of the hills are his also, the sea is his, for he made it and his hands form the dry land. When we look at some of the creatures, like the birds of the air, we see some pretty amazing things. This is the Australian brush turkey. This Australian brush turkey is a pretty small bird, comparatively thinking for a turkey. It weighs about three and a half to four pounds. Uh, the male brush turkey has one main job. Build the nest. Provide the home is his job. Some may be saying, well, big deal. Well, when you see the size of the nest he has to build, it is kind of a big deal. 
And it, and it takes a lot of time to do that. In fact, this is an example of one of the nests. The nest can get up to 50 feet high and over 25, 30 feet around. And the nest must be at an exact temperature. Uh, it lays, the female brush turkey lays one egg every three days for a period of seven months. Uh, so she has a baby every seven months or lays an egg. It's, it's about four times the size of a chicken egg. So to give you an idea, it would be like a human having a 25-pound baby every three days for seven months. That's what mom does, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. Um, back to daddy brush turkey. He has to keep the nest at exactly 91 degrees Fahrenheit. If it gets colder than that, all of the babies freeze to death. If it gets hotter than that, all of the babies boil. How does he know? what 91 degrees is exactly. If he takes away or adds too much leaves, it could affect the moisture in the nest, and if it gets too moist, they drown. Too dry, they starve to death, they, they dry up. Baby brush turkeys are born with all of their feathers intact, which is pretty amazing, and they are able to dig themselves out of the nest even though it's 50 feet deep. They know which way is up, they know which way is out, and when they come out, they can actually eat on their own. They don't need mom and dad no more. They're able to survive exactly as they are. Little brush turkeys. The woodpecker is another amazing creature. There are a lot of them around here. Uh, April and I, the first time we ever went deer hunting, I thought somebody was doing construction near us. I was like, what on earth is that? Because uh, in Hawaii, we don't have woodpeckers. And so I'm like, that's a woodpecker. Wow. You know, and I was so excited. So I did some studying on woodpeckers. Most birds have three toes out the front and one toe out the back. The woodpecker actually comes with two and two. That's kind of interesting seeing it's one of the few birds on the planet that props itself up against a flat tree vertically. And it needs that. Not only does it need that, but it has a spongy tail to help benefit it, to keep it propped up against the tree. How did that evolve? How did this happen by accident? And, and, and it, it didn't. God created this bird. Another interesting thing, with all that pecking, you think he would go home with a headache every night, but God designed him with a piece of cartilage between his beak and his skull that actually acts as a shock absorber, and his skull is the thickest bone per body weight of any creature on the planet, which is pretty amazing. The one creature that needs it is the creature that has it. This is great for drilling holes into trees. Another interesting thing that you'll notice is that as he's drilling holes into trees, he opens his eyes and closes his eyes every time he pecks. Why? Some people said, well, that was to keep the dust out of his eyes. That's actually not true. It was to keep his eyes in his head. He pecks with such force that he would blow his eyes out with each peck if he did not close his eyes. So imagine the first woodpecker evolved, and he goes to peck one time for food, he blows his eyes out, and he dies. That's the end of woodpeckers. That should be the evolutionary woodpecker story. But we don't see that. How did this evolve? How did it happen by accident? They also have amazing tongues. Uh, woodpeckers have tongues that can go 10 inches past their beak. And it's not just a variety of woodpecker. It's all woodpeckers. Uh, their tongues also have barbs on the end of it. I'll blow it up so you can get a closer look. Um, in order to stab their food as it goes into the tree. And as a woodpecker sticks its tongue into the tree, it also mixes that barbed tongue with glue. So that as it goes in, the, the, it, it stabs its meal, and the meal sticks to its tongue. That would be awesome, except for when the woodpecker goes to swallow his food. Because what should he swallow also? His tongue, because his tongue should be stuck to his food. But the woodpecker not only has uh, glue in his mouth, but he has a solvent that dissolves the glue as he pulls the bug into his mouth that makes him able to swallow just the bug, not his tongue. So the woodpecker is pretty amazing. True? Uh, what, what about the bear? Uh, I like bears because I've never seen one up personally close, but uh, they're pretty cool. Uh, bears in North America are some of the most powerful creatures in the world. A grizzly bear can get up to 860 pounds. Um, a polar bear, though, can get up to 1,300 pounds and run at 30 miles an hour. So when you hear people say, try to do this to avoid being eaten by a bear, if you're trying to avoid being eaten from a polar bear, just sprinkle salt on yourself because you're gone. 
You know, he's, he's, he's your lunch. That's what's going to happen. Now, they also spend a lot of their time foraging for food to fatten themselves up for the winter in this sleep that they call hibernation. We all know that. Okay, so the bears love to hibernate. Okay, so mother bears have baby bears technically at the worst time of the year because they're going to have them and then go to sleep for five months. That doesn't make sense. How is the baby bear going to eat? How are they going to survive? How do they handle that long process? Let me explain it. Uh, well, remember how that bear needed to fatten himself up for the winter? When it's not drinking, because it doesn't drink water for five months, each gram of fat that he gained, or she gained, can turn into one and a half grams of water. And so mama bear is able to turn that fat into water and thus into milk so her baby bears can nurse for the five months with no problem whatsoever. How does that happen? And also, she doesn't go to the bathroom. She doesn't pee for five months. So how does she keep her fluid up? Well, once again, she has a way to turn her own urine back into water to hydrate herself. How does that happen by accident? It doesn't. God created it. Another interesting thing is that bears lose 20% of their muscle strength when they sleep for five months. If a human were to sleep for five months, he'd lose 90% of his muscle strength. 90%. In fact, a human, if they slept for five months, they wouldn't be able to walk when they stepped out of bed. But a bear can come out absolutely fine, able to survive, and does great for themselves. Uh, therefore, it's a miracle that bears can do what they do. But I would argue it's because God created that bear. And that bear is an amazing testament that gives glory to him. What do I mean? Job chapter 12, 7 through 10. Ask the beast, and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all of these do not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. This is called the anthropic principle. The idea being that God created this planet so that man could give him glory by examining the life on it. And so in closing, I want to look at man just briefly. Because man is the pinnacle of God's creation. What do I mean? Mankind is unique because we're created imagio deo in the Latin, or in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So this passage speaks of the Trinity because the word are is used. Okay, not only that, but it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we can talk about gender when we come to this passage. But the idea is that we were made in the image of God. We were the pinnacle of his creation. Therefore, there are many things about mankind that are simply amazing. And I just want to go through a couple of them and then we'll wrap this up. Genesis 2.7 says, God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. It's kind of interesting because you and I are made out of the same thing that dirt is made out of. And this is not an exaggeration. In fact, Genesis 3.19 says, you were taken from the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. When you look at basic scientific textbooks, they will tell you the same thing. The same chemical composition that is in dirt is what is in humans, and we have water in us as well. So technically, this I want to introduce you to my great-grandfather. This is <laughs> We're just big piles of mud. We're just big piles of mud. That's what, that's what we are. But for a pile of mud, we're created pretty amazing. Amen? Um, chemically, each person has 30 trillion cells, 10,000 chemical functions that happen within each person, uh, equal to every letter in 10 million books, the cell information. Our body is controlled and coordinated by 16 billion neurons, 120 trillion connection boxes. And for some of you, that's just big numbers. To give you an idea, a bee has 900. A ant has 25. We have billions and trillions. The human body is amazingly complex. Our body's nerve impulses flash around at 300 miles per hour, and our human brain and nervous system is the most complex arrangement of matter anywhere in the universe. 
uh, your, how, how many people know how many bones in the human body? Anybody want to take a stab at it? 206 is correct. We have 206 bones in the human body. Now, here's one, and, and most people get that one. How many know how many muscles? 639 muscles. Even the little ones that cause you to frown or wrinkle or, or, or when somebody tells you something weird and your eyebrow goes up, you know, e even that uh, is all part of the complex makeup of man. Our human ear is incredible. Uh, it has little hairs in it, 24,000 about there, that can tell in the vibration of the air the difference between a trumpet, an ambulance, somebody saying they love you, just by air vibrating against the hairs. Your eye is amazing. The ability to focus on light and see it, just so you know, if you have a good eye, you can, and on a very dark night, you can see a candle lit 30 miles, per hour, uh, 30 miles away. 30 miles away, you can see. And the furthest thing we can see with our naked eye is actually the Andromeda galaxy. We can see that. And that is 2.6 million light years away from the Earth. And your eye can see it. Nothing sort of incredible. Your digestive system is incredible. How many of you like to eat? We're going we're gonna to practice that right after service today. Uh, average person consumes three and a half pounds of food every day. What do we use to consume our food? We chew it with our teeth. Very good. So we chew it with our teeth. After our teeth chew our food thousands of times a day, our body mixes that food with this liquid called saliva. It even sounds gross. Right, saliva sounds gross, but it mixes it with that, and and everything that eats ha has saliva in it. But I, but I want you I want I want you to think about this. It's interesting that your saliva and your stomach acids dissolve the meat you ate, but they don't dissolve your stomach, which is also made of meat. Hmm. You can eat stomach, and it will dissolve it but it won't dissolve your stomach. What are the chances of that? Your heart beats over 100,000 times daily. Your lungs breathe about 24,000 times per day. Um, and after God created man, he said that his creation was very good. In fact, Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. And so it was evening and morning of the sixth day. Uh, it, it, he speaks about how he formed even our inward parts and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're young and you're here today, even if you're old, remember this, you are not an accident. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to give God glory. Amen? Don't forget that. Our brains weigh about three pounds. It is comprised of 60% fat. If you were to be able to screw a light bulb into your brain, your brain could light a 23-watt light bulb with the amount of electricity produced by it. True. Um, Romans 1.20 says that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, and mankind is without excuse. But sadly, man didn't want to worship the creator. They chose to worship, rather, the creation. Romans goes on. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, people worship the creation rather than the creator. And when you do that, we got it backwards. So we're going to bring this full circle. This woman here, this is Christina. When she was seven, she had half of her brain removed from a condition that caused constant seizures. Today, she's alive and well and married, and she works as a speech pathologist with only half a brain. You know why? Because that's how amazing the human body is. Why bring this up? Why bring up Christina? Well, there's a difference between the organic matter of the brain and the mind. Dr. Wilder Penfield, he was noted for road mapping of the human brain, and he would do surgery on people when they were awake, and he would work on their brains, and he would touch a certain part of their brains. And they would be playing guitar, and he would touch a certain part, and they would stop playing the guitar. But in their mind, they were continuing to play the song, 
even though their body stopped to function. And what he proved in his surgeries was that ultimately the, the brain is separate than the mind, that they're actually two different things. In other words, what Penfield said was that human beings are body, soul, and spirit, which is what we believe as believers. Amen? And, and he, he said this. In other words, I am more than, uh, this is J.P. Moreland. He said, I am more than just a sum of total physical brain and body parts. I am a soul and I have a body. I am not a body that has a soul. My soul is the eternal part of me. And temporarily, I have this body. And one day in heaven, I will get a new body. That's why when we look at pictures like this, and I ask you this question, how many people do you see here? Look close, how many people do you see here? How come nobody says one and a half? Now, now, now some of you were, are thinking, that's kind of a jerk thing to say. This is Nick Vojicic, he's a Christian. He goes around the world sharing the power of God in his life, and, and he's, a, he's an amazing evangelist. If you get the chance, he's called the, the man with no arms and no legs. If you get the chance to look him up, look him up. His testimony is incredible. But, but we don't say that he's half a person just because he has half a body. He's a full person. Why? Because his soul is not his body. There's no place in my body where I can say, here I am. My soul is not in the left part of my brain. It's not in my nose. It's not in my lungs. My soul is fully present everywhere throughout my body. That's why if I lose part of my body, I don't lose my soul. Why bring this up? Because God is not just interested in our bodies. He's interested in our souls, the eternal part of us. And this can only be saved by one person, Jesus. What he came to do on the cross, what he came to teach us and, and, and reflect to us is that we should know God who is our creator. And we should give glory to him and worship him. John 1, 1 through 5 speaks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus made it all. John 1, 3, right? All things were made. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by Him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible. And He is before all things, and in Him, all things consist. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, who at various times in various ways spoke to us in times past by the fathers of prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, in whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has made the worlds. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yea, for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. He should get the credit, and he should get the glory. And we should be people, when we look at this universe and the world around us, who can say, God did that. He did us. And we should be able to say it with confidence, not feeling that we have to check our scientific brain at the door. This is Thomas Huxley. He was a devoted disciple of Charles Darwin, a famous biologist, teacher, and author. He was a defender of the theory of evolution. This is what he says. After another series of public assaults against, oh, this was written about him, I should say. After another series of public assaults against truths Christians held sacred, Huxley was in a hurry to catch its train, uh, his train to the next city. He took one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis and settled back with his eyes closed to rest for a few minutes, and he assumed the driver had been told the destination by the hotel doorman. So all he said was, hurry, I'm almost late, drive fast. And so the horses lurched forward and galloped across Dublin at a vigorous pace. Before long, Huxley glanced out the little window and frowned as he realized they were going west away from the sun, not toward it. Leaning forward, he, the scholar shouted, Do you not know where you're going? Without looking back, the driver yelled a classic line, not meant to be humorous, No, Your Honor, but I'm driving there very fast. The argument is the world doesn't know where it's going. It doesn't understand. Because we have God's word and he's revealed himself to us, it's our job to go out there and teach them, share with them, love them, be among the people and, and tell them how gloriously they were made by the creator who has created them on purpose and who has created them for a purpose. And that purpose is to give him glory. Today, my desire was to be like the moon. I mentioned that we're nothing more than a big ball of dirt. So is the moon. 
You wouldn't even know it was there unless something shined upon it. So what we're seeing in the moon is the reflection of the sun. Our job is to simply just reflect the sun. To get out there and be like the moon and shine God's glory so people can see, so they can know him as the one who created them and loved them enough to die for them. Amen? We have a lot of things on the table that you can check out. We have a question and answer book. This is designed for teenagers, but uh, teen, teens to college age, because that's where we're losing a lot of people. Uh, 75 to 80% of kids raised in evangelical churches will leave the faith in, within their first two years of college. And so what we did was we, we do a lot of youth camps that we teach. We would ask the kids to ask us questions, and we took track of all the, kept track of all these questions we took the most popular 28, and we wrote a book, and we answered them in 2,000 words or less per question. And so we, uh, one of the questions that people asked was, well, if Jesus willingly went and died and, and had himself killed, isn't that kind of like suicide? So why is suicide bad and what he did okay? That's a good question. We had better have answers. And so what we did was we wrote out the answers to these, a theologically accurate short answers so they could get grasp of this. We're working on volume two right now on Amazon. It was a bestseller in the youth uh, department uh, regarding the um, uh, youth ministry department. Uh, we have curriculum that are based off our debunked videos. If anybody does home studies or you teach kids at home and you want some way to uh, in, uh, foster that, you can do that. But we also have something that I want to encourage everybody, these bracelets that are on the table. Anybody ever see the wordless book and you make these wordless bracelets out of the colors. The colors represent something, right? The gold is that we all want to go to heaven. But the problem is the black represents sin. And the fact that because of sin, we're not allowed to go there. Well, except for the red, that Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross for us. And the white represents the purity that comes in knowing Christ. And then the green, we continue to grow. And then when you tie the bracelet together, until the day you get to the gold, and you get to go to heaven and be with him. That's what these bracelets represent. These were made by a village in the Philippines whose women were doing some atrocious things to earn money to provide for their families. A person took it upon themselves to start a ministry saying, what if I give you something else to do, seeing that they were wearing colored bracelets? What if you could build these bracelets for me? and I'm going to distribute them with the gospel. Now that village in the Philippines, is the majority is saved, they have a church, they have a school, and they no longer have to do these things because they earn their money off selling bracelets to this guy. This, this is from Threads of Hope, if you want to check it out on the website. We have a bunch that are out there. If you want one, just stop by the table and take one. But this is what I ask, if you do that, go out and share what it means. Go witness for it and tell people that you were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this day and we thank you once again for how amazing you are. You have been good all the time. You created us in Maggio Deo in your image. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the children of God and worship you and give you the glory that you deserve. Pray that you would help us to as we see the creation around us, to see your hand in it. And then help us to be witnesses of it to people who do not understand that. Help us to be bold in our faith and help your word to be alive in us so that we can share with people the only truth that matters. And that is the truth that you are the Savior who came to this earth to die for us even while we were yet sinners. May you receive all glory and honor be with Pastor Gary as he concludes the service and as well as uh, leads this church to bring you glory all the days that you allow us to be here on this planet. In Jesus' name.